Physics World. Hello and welcome to the Physics World Weekly Podcast. I'm Mateen Durrani and in this episode we are going to be revealing our top 10 breakthroughs in physics for 2022. Taking you through our choices, I'm joined by three Physics World editors, Margaret Harris, Tammy Freeman and Hamish Johnson. Hi everyone. Hi Mateen. Hiya. Now, regular listeners will know that every December we gather to, cho- to choose Physics World's top 10 breakthroughs of the year from the hundreds of research papers we've covered in that year. And each of us brings our nominations to the table and we have a lively debate about which ones should be on the list and then we have a vote. So in terms of the criteria we used to select the top 10, um, in addition to having been reported on Physics World in 2022, our selections must meet the following three criteria significant advance in knowledge or understanding, importance of work for scientific progress and or development of real-world applications, and they have to be of general interest to physics world readers. So now it's time to reveal our top 10, and we're going to start with a breakthrough that's to do with the Aronoff-Bohm effect. Hamish, what's that about? Yeah, this this is to do with the Aronoff-Bohm effect, but there's a twist um, in this one. It's a uh, the first time that scientists have seen the Anarov-Bohm effect for gravity. Now, now the effect, it's a curious quantum phenomenon that was predicted more than 70 years ago, and it's been confirmed in a series of experiments that have been done since the 1960s. And in many of these experiments, a beam of electrons is split in two and sort of sent on either side of a region containing a shielded magnetic field. So, uh, you know, in a, in a modern experiment, the magnetic field would be, would be contained by a, a, a superconducting material, for example. And the crucial bit is that there's absolutely no magnetic field in the region that the electrons pass through. But the amazing thing is that that when the beams are recombined at a detector, interference is observed. And this interference is related to the interaction of the electron's wave function with the magnetic potential associated with the magnetic field. And and so, although the electrons feel no force from the magnetic field, quantum mechanics somehow makes them aware of its presence. And, and so the Anarov-Bohm effect is sort of a, 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 a classic example of a, a really weird quantum phenomenon. And up until now, um, the uh, Anarov-Bohm effect has been uh, explored uh, using electromagnetic forces, so magnetism and uh, electrical fields, although I don't think, I could be wrong about this, but I don't think it's actually been shown uh, with electric fields, just magnetic fields. But now, Chris Overstreet, Peter Assenbaum, and Mark Kasevich and colleagues at Stanford University in the U.S. have done an interferometry experiment with ultra-cold atoms, and this has revealed an Anarov-Bohm effect for a gravitational potential rather than a magnetic potential. And they did this by splitting an ensemble of atoms and having some of those atoms pass nearby to a large mass. They noticed uh, an interference pattern in their data that couldn't be explained unless you invoked um, the Anarov-Bohm effect. 
And, um, you know, although this, I mean, this is curious, it's great to see that they can, that they can see the effect with a gravitational potential. It could also be used to determine Newton's gravitational constant to a very high precision. So, uh, you know, there's a bit of wow, this is some great quantum weirdness in this uh, particular breakthrough, but it's also practical. And that's why we've chosen it this year. Thanks, Hamish. And of course, the Aronoff bomb effect, that's one of those things we always think might be one of the uh, candidate for the Nobel Prize for Physics. So it's interesting that that one has been applied in a new context. Um, but there's also next up on our top 10, Hamish, we've got a nuclear physics breakthrough. Um, and it's to do with a tetraneutron. So I think that's an neutron with four items in it. Do you want to explain a bit more about that? Yeah, so so a tetraneutron is a, is a cluster of four neutrons. And so you, you could think of it as a small nucleus with zero electric charge. Now, current models of the nucleus don't support the existence of the tetraneutron, but several experiments um, suggest that it could exist as a resonance. Now, a resonance is what particle physicists and nuclear physicists refer to as a very, very short-lived state. Um, so, you know, there's, there, there's been a bit of, 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 of work done on this in the past and some encouraging results. But now, um, Metal Dürer at Germany's Institute for Nuclear Physics at the Technical University of Darmstadt and an international team of colleagues have observed a tetraneutron resonance. And they did this by firing helium-8 nuclei at a target of liquid hydrogen. And this splits some of the nuclei into helium-4, leaving behind a tetraneutron. And, and what they did is they looked at the reco recoiling uh, hydrogen and helium-4 nuclei, and they worked out that the tetraneutron must exist, although very fleetingly, for about 10 to the minus 22 seconds. So it doesn't hang around for very long. But the measurement was done at a statistical significance of five sigma, and that's considered to be a discovery in particle physics. So some very good evidence that um, that this neutron, this tetraneutron, the neutrons hang around together for long enough um, to, you know, I suppose, be considered a, a particle. And uh, so, so that was a that, that's a, a major breakthrough. I suppose, in the, in the study of uh, neutron material. And um, the team now hopes to investigate the behavior of the individual neutrons within the tetraneutron and also search for even larger resonances with six or eight neutrons. So we thought that was uh, that, that's pretty exciting breakthrough in nuclear physics. Uh, uh, I suppose, a, a nucleus with, with no charge. So that's why that one's on our list of top 10 breakthroughs. All right. So from nuclear physics, so that was our first two top 10 breakthroughs of the year. So the next one is in the field of semiconductor, condensed matter physics. So this is a new cool kind of semiconductor that um, hopefully lasts a bit longer than the tetraneutrons you talked about. Yeah, it's well, it, 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 there is a sort of fleeting nature to this semiconductor. And, and that's why this breakthrough, um, I, I suppose, is important. This is a material called cubic boron arsenide. 
And um, some people refer to it as a champion semiconductor. And that's because experiments and theoretical work in the past has suggested that this material has some really good semiconductor properties when compared to uh, uh, lots of other materials, including silicon. And one of these properties is that unlike silicon, uh, this material has a very high hole, hole mobility. Now, the holes are sort of positive charge car carriers within a semiconductor. And um, having a high hole mobility means that devices made from the semiconductor can run at very high frequencies. Um, and silicon does not have a high hole mobility. And the other sort of wonder property is that um, cubic boron, boron arsenide has a very high thermal conductivity, much higher than silicon. And so this means that if you could make chips from this material, they would be much easier to cool. And that's a very important advantage because it means you, you, you might be able to pack together more transistors into a, uh, into a, a smaller space and have those transistors run very, very quickly without you know, having to worry about dissipating the heat. The, the material would do that for you. But um, the problem is um, in the past, it was very, very difficult to create pure samples of the material to measure these properties. So I suppose, you know, in, in the past, researchers only got fleeting glimpses of the possibility of these um, wonder properties. But now, two independent teams, um, one led by Gong Chen at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology in the U.S., and the other uh, led by Xin Feng Leo of the National Center for Nanoscience and Technology in Beijing, have made samples of the material that are large enough to measure hole mobility and thermal conductivity. And guess what? They've confirmed the predictions uh, of these high values, or they've, they've conf confirmed predictions of these higher values. And uh, you, you might be thinking, well, hold on, if it's really difficult to make um, samples of the material, what's the point? Is this all academic? But, you know, the thing is, in the semiconductor industry, where there's a will, there's a way. You know, at, at, at one point in the past, it was probably very difficult to make, or it was very difficult to make pure silicon. But, um, but researchers got over that. So, you know, watch this space. We could be, uh, you could have cubic boron arsenide transistors in your personal electronics at some time in the future. Wow, so a material that could outperform silicon in the uh, computer industry. That sounds uh, um, pretty exciting. So that's the first three breakthroughs of the year. So we've had, uh, you know, some quantum works, solid state physics and um, nuclear physics. Um, now we're going to go out of the uh, Earth's atmosphere, um, Tammy. Um, so one of the, th the next breakthrough on our li list is all about uh, a NASA mission, isn't it, that you're going to talk to us about? Um, and it was really hard for us to not put this in our top 10 because it's very interesting, isn't it? Indeed, yes. So this nomination goes to NASA and the Johns Hopkins Applied Physics Laboratory for the first demonstration of kinetic impact by successfully changing the orbit of an asteroid. So this is DART, or the Double Asteroid Redirection Test Craft, and it's the first mission dedicated to demonstrating this method of asteroid deflection. The DART craft was launched in November 2021, and it set off on a journey of around 11 million kilometers towards a binary near-Earth asteroid system, 
And this system consists of a 160 meter diameter body called Dimorphos that orbits a larger 780 meter diameter asteroid called Didymus. So the plan was to slam into Dimorphos to see whether the kinetic impact of a spacecraft could deflect an asteroid. And the idea is that one day capabilities based on DART could be used to deflect an asteroid that's on a collision course with Earth to protect our planet, preserve life on Earth. So a yeah, pretty fundamental, important goal. And it worked really well. In October of this year, DART impacted Dimorphos whilst traveling at about six kilometers a second. And days later, NASA confirmed that the impact had successfully shortened the asteroid's 11 hour, 55 minute orbit by 32 minutes. Now, notably, this was about 20 time, 25 times greater than the change in orbit period that NASA had defined as a minimum for success, which was just 73 seconds. So as you say, it worked even better than expected. The results will be used to work out how best to apply this kinetic impact technique for future planetary defense scenarios. And in 2024, the European Space Agency's HERA mission will launch to the asteroid system. And once it arrives two years later, it will perform a close-up crime scene investigation of DART's impact to try and find out more. So according to NASA Administrator Bill Nelson, he said that DART represents an unprecedented success for planetary defence. And yeah, that's why we picked it as one of our choices this year. Now, what I really like about this one is it's it's science fiction that's become science fact, hasn't it? You know, you could it sounds like a, the plot of a film, and I'm sure it is the plot of a few films. And now, and now people have done it, which is you know I think is is incredible. Well, I mean, anyone who's watched the movie Don't Look Up, which I have with um, Leonardo DiCaprio and Jennifer Lawrence. Maybe they'll do a sequel because that was all about um, how to sort of persuade politicians to uh, deal with an asteroid that's slamming into Earth, which was yes. <laughs> science fiction, but um, dressed up as science fact. So uh, that's on our top 10. Um, so, yeah, back down to Earth, Tammy. Um, the next on the list is um, medical physics breakthrough. That um, Obviously, you are a medical physics expert on physics world, and you do a lot of writing about that. So this is about a new... Uh, the first human trial of a promising cancer treatment. Yes. So this breakthrough is the first clinical trial of flash radiotherapy. And Emily Doherty from the University of Cincinnati reported the results of the study at the Astro Annual Meeting in October. And the findings were simultaneously published in the journal JAMA Oncology. So flash, it's a new way of performing radiotherapy in which the therapeutic radiation is delivered at ultra high dose rates, usually 40 gram per second or more. And this is about a thousand times higher than the dose rate used with standard treatments. Now, the big advantage, which has already been demonstrated in many preclinical animal studies, is that this flash treatment causes less damage to normal tissue than standard radiotherapy, but it still effectively kills cancer cells. So this offers, for example, the possibility of delivering larger radiation doses without increasing side effects. Um, and this could help treat resistant tumors, for example. So in this first trial called FAST-01, the team treated 10 patients with painful bone metastasis in their arms and legs. Um, and these are, these are cancer lesions that have spread. So usually the, these patients would have received conventional radiotherapy. 
and instead they received a single eight-gray radiation dose, so as would be used in the standard of care treatment, but delivered at 40 gray or more. And the treatment was given using protons from a flash-enabled pro-beam proton therapy system. And this is important because it also represents the first in-human use of flash proton therapy. Now, the only previous in-human flash treatment, um, which was of a single patient, used electrons to treat the skin. But if you use protons to deliver this ultra-high dose rate radiation, you can treat tumours deep inside the body. So the team evaluated both the feasibility and potential toxicity of this flash proton therapy. Um, now, they found the average treatment time or the time on the treatment table was about 16 minutes per treated site, although the, the flash delivery itself takes less than a second. Um, and they had no flash-related technical issues or delays. Side effects from the treatment were mild. And importantly, the resulting pain relief was similar to that seen with conventional dose rate radiotherapy. So with both the treatment effectiveness and toxicity comparable with conventional treatments, the researchers suggest that their findings support you know, further exploration of FLASH for other clinical indications. And they're now enrolling patients into a second trial called FASTO2. And this is going to assess the use of FLASH proton therapy in subjects with bone metastasis in the thoracic region. So yeah, first in human study, Great results. It's really early, early um, research at the moment, but you know, there's there's a lot of talk about this flash radiotherapy, a lot of potential, I think, for the future. Mm. I mean, it definitely sounds interesting. I mean, obviously, we don't want to get people's hopes up who are perhaps uh, hoping that this treatment might be coming their way anytime soon. But you know, it's an important first step um, of what could be really, really useful for treating uh, patients. So that 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 sounds really an optimistic one for the future, definitely. Now, the other breakthrough you're going to talk about, Tammy, was to do with um, so-called perfect optical materials. And, uh, yeah, we like perfection in life. So <laughs> why is this uh, Why is this perfect? Okay, so um, this nomination actually includes two studies, both looking at innovative ways to control light. So in the first, a team led by Stefan Rotter of TU Vienne and Matthew Davey of the University of Rennes have created an anti-reflection structure that enables perfect transmission through complex media. Now, it works because this anti-reflective layer is tailored to match the way that waves would normally reflect from the front surface of an object. And the researchers point out that the technique, it doesn't require any knowledge of the object's internal structure, so just the front surface. So in their experiment, they used a complex target containing several randomly arranged Teflon and metallic cylinders, and they sent microwaves through this object and saw that about half the waves were reflected. Now, by measuring how these waves were scattered, they then calculated the additional scattering needed to create a perfect anti-reflective layer for this system. And they found that when the waves traveled through this anti-reflective layer before passing through the object, 100% reached the other side. So Rotter suggests the technology could, for example, play a part in the development of 6G mobile communications by helping to create receivers with as little reflection as possible, which could allow the use of reduced intensity mobile signals. So that's the first one, perfect transmission. Now, the second study, also led by Stefan Rotter, but this time in collaboration with Ori Katz from the Hebrew University of Jerusalem, 
The researchers had the opposite aim. So here they developed a coherent, perfect absorber or an anti-laser that enables any material to absorb all the light from a wide range of angles. The idea here is to use a set of mirrors and lenses that trap incoming light inside a cavity and force it to circulate so that it repeatedly hits an absorbing layer until it's completely absorbed and all the reflections are destructively eliminated. To demonstrate this, the researchers created a system containing a front mirror with a reflectance of 70%, a back mirror with a reflectance of 99.9%, .9 and a thin piece of tinted glass of the absorber, and this had an absorption of about 15%. Now, they found that this device enabled the glass to absorb over 94% of all the light that entered the system. They also created rapidly changing complex and random light fields and sent these into the device. And again, they observed near perfect absorption. So um, the researchers say this device has potential in applications such as optical energy harvesting and transmission. For example, Rotter says it might be possible to use it to charge batteries in a drone from a large distance using a laser beam. So yeah, those two make up one of our nominations. Yeah, it sounds really interesting. Something that can absorb everything that comes onto it. I can see all sorts of applications, you know, if that could be developed. I'm sure there are things we haven't even thought about that uh, definitely sound really promising from a bit of fundamental research. So that, that that's really interesting. So thanks, Tammy, for doing the next three on our list. Um, now we're going to talk to Margaret. She's going to go through the, the next, the final four on our top 10 breakthroughs of the year. So Margaret, the first one, um, we're dubbing a new era for ultra-cold chemistry. Yeah, so um, this entry in the top 10 list honors the creation of the first ultra-cold polyatomic molecules, that is, molecules with more than two atoms. And here we do have to kind of get into definitional stuff, because if you ask an astronomer what their idea of a molecule is, they may be perfectly happy to say, oh, hydrogen gas, H2, that's a molecule. But if you ask an organic chemist what their idea of a molecule is, their response will probably involve some ginormous long chain with benzene rings and all sorts of functional groups sticking out and doing complicated chemical stuff. So the polyatomic molecules in this work that we're running in our breakthrough um, list it, are very much still more towards the astronomy end of the spectrum. There are two separate groups involved in creating them, um, one involving Bo Zhao, Zhang Wei Pan, and colleagues at the University of Science and Technology of China and the Chinese Academy of Sciences in Beijing, and then independently, John Doyle and colleagues at Harvard University in the US. And Zhao and Pan's group worked with triatomic sodium-potassium molecules, whereas Doyle's experiment was on calcium hydroxide, CaOH. So these aren't hugely complex molecules in chemical terms, but as aficionados of the, of the three-body problem in mathematical physics know, the increase in complexity when you add just one extra body to a system can be huge. And so there is correspondingly huge potential for exploring quantum simulation and quantum chemistry in these results. And the fact that these molecules are so cold, I think a microkelvin level in, in Doyle's group and actually nanokelvin in case of Zhao and, and Pan's group, um, the fact that these molecules are so cold gives experimenters a huge amount of control over what quantum states they're in. So you can manipulate them and do what you want with them uh, much more than you can with a set of molecules at room temperature. Um, also of note is that the two groups made their molecules in different ways. Um, Doyle's group did it by directly laser cooling the calcium hydroxide 
in what's called a, a magneto-optical trap, which is a standard technique in atomic physics, whereas Zhao and Pan and colleagues did it by creating an association between potassium-40 atoms and molecules of, of sodium-potassium. Um, and it'll be really exciting to see both of these techniques used more in the coming years for different types of molecules and for different purposes. All right, so that's seven down on our list. We've got three more. Um, so, Margaret, uh, number eight on our list um, is uh, it's to do with electricity generation and super efficient electricity generation, no less. Yes, yeah, so these uh, we should say that these list is not in any particular order. It's just based on you know what we we particularly like, found interesting. Um, but the the eighth item in our list is um, involves constructing a thermophotovoltaic cell with an efficiency of more than 40%. So this is work done by Alina Lapotin, Asagan Henry and colleagues at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology and the National Renewable Energy Laboratory in the US. And unlike the solar panels you might see on, on a roof, thermophotovoltaic cells convert light at infrared wavelengths, that is heat, into electricity. And the theoretical maximum efficiency for doing this conversion is, is actually above 50%. But previous cells had barely scraped past the 30% mark, so getting above 40% is a big jump. It's also an important jump because it marks the first time that a solid-state device has outperformed a standard turbine in terms of efficiency at converting heat into electricity. And that's significant because turbine technology is mature. There's unlikely to be much more in the way of efficiency gains from trying to improve it because it's already had loads of research that have poured into it over decades. Whereas thermophotovoltaics is really just getting started. And a final point is that the researchers who developed this new thermophotovoltaic technology are already working on creating thermal batteries that are compatible with it. And this is important for green energy because such batteries offer low cost grid scale energy storage to help electricity grids incorporate more renewable technologies, even though there will always be times when the sun doesn't shine and the wind doesn't blow. So all told, a big advance for energy research, and that's why it's on our list of breakthroughs. All right. Thanks, Margaret. And yeah, um, the penultimate one on our list, which, is, as you said, is in no particular order, um, it's an optoelectronics breakthrough. Um, and this is to do with uh, the fastest possible optoelectronics switch. So how fast are we talking, Margaret? Well, this piece of research actually really captured my imagination because it made me think about what a switch actually does electronically speaking, and what limits the speed at which that switch can operate. So for an ordinary household wall switch, the limit is how fast your finger can move and how fast the little lever inside, inside the switch can interrupt the flow of current. So that's on the order of seconds. Um, obviously, the transistors that regulate the flow of current through microelectronics work much faster than that. I think uh, the current record is about one terahertz. But it's the team of scientists that's responsible for this breakthrough made a switch that was even faster than that. Instead of using electrical current to drive the switch, they used light in the form of a, an extremely short femtosecond laser pulse. And they used that light to excite the electron from the valence band of a dielectric material into the conduction band. And this turns the material from an insulator into a conductor. And it happens within one femtosecond, which corresponds to a switch with petahertz frequency. So that was, that was what they did. But even better, the, the, sa the same team showed that by tracking what the electrons do after they're put in this conduction band, they showed it, that if switching times got even any faster, 
the electrons would be pushed into regions of the material's band structure where they would actually harm the signals that the researchers were trying to transmit. So there is a fundamental quantum speed limit on how fast an optoelectronic switch can be operated. And these researchers, um, led by Marcus Osiander, Martin Schulze, and colleagues at the Max Planck Institute for Quantum Optics and uh, Ludwig Maximilians University in Munich in Germany, together with colleagues at Vienna University of Technology and the Graz University of Technology in Austria, together with one more, one more team at the CNR Nanotech Institute of Nanotechnology in Italy. They made this device that's right up against that limit, which I think is pretty impressive. Um, the one downside is that this device is currently the size of an apartment. So, <laughs> so it's super fast, but not super small. Not super fast, but not super small. It's not going to be in, into microelectronic devices anytime soon. But to demonstrate in principle, to me, is just amazing. All right. Last but not least, now we had the, the DART mission that uh, Tammy talked about before. Um, we've got another space mission that, you know, we found it hard to keep off our top 10 list, Margaret. Um, it's no secret that it's the James Webb Space Telescope. Yeah, so the, the JWST was launched on the 25th of December, 2021. And for the astronomy community, as well as those of us who are just looking on, it really was the best Christmas present ever. Um, the launch and the successful deployment, perhaps even more the successful deployment of this instrument, was the culmination of 25 years of development and testing. It's one of the most ambitious projects in the history of, of science, never mind astronomy or space science. Um, among its engineering firsts uh, included passive cooling of a large structure in space to 40 Kelvin and a, a smaller fraction of the instrument, um, one particular instrument, to 7 Kelvin. It was the first deployable telescope in space and the first segmented mirror in space. And a truly staggering number of things had to go right for all this to work. Uh, by one count, there were 344 separate possible single point failures that is, things where a single problem could gum up the entire thing, make the instrument unusable. And incredibly, none of them happened. The only fly in the ointment so far was a micrometeoroid that did some minor damage to one of the mirror segments, and they've managed to deal with that and, and keep the instrument running. And I think the important thing to emphasize is that getting this right involved a huge number of people. It's been estimated that 20,000 scientists, engineers, and technicians contributed over the years to the telescope's development, launch, and deployment. And these participants came from 258 different companies, agencies, and universities, including 142 from the US, 104 from 12 different European nations, and 12 from Canada. So this is a real joint NASA, ESA, Canadian Space Agency effort. And although it's really early, early days for this mission, they only started commissioning it properly, uh, so in the middle of, of 2022, Already 100 papers have been published based on the first data release in July. And we're eagerly looking forward to the second data release scheduled in just a few days' time in mid-December. So you know, this is on our breakthrough the list of the breakthroughs of the year. And it's also, we hope, going to spawn a lot of, of breakthroughs in itself and the results it's producing over the next uh, sort of 10 years of its lifetime. Yep. So thanks, Margaret, for that. Um, and as I mentioned before, um, those are our top 10 breakthroughs of the year in no particular order. Um, and I hope you'll agree that uh, they represent a wide range of outstanding physics research. Um, stay tuned to the Physics World website because on Wednesday, the 14th of December, um, we'll be announcing which one of those top 10 
is our official Physics World Breakthrough of the Year for 2022. I'm afraid that's all we've got time for in this week's podcast. Um, so thanks to Tammy Freeman, Margaret Harris and Hamish Johnson for joining me today. And a special thanks, as always, to producer Fred Isles. Um, thanks for listening and do join us again next week for the announcement of the Physics World Breakthrough of the Year. Physics World.